our Lord. Amen. Well, again, so uh, very good to be uh, with you this morning. If if I uh, learned anything uh, during my recent time away, it was just how much of a privilege and a joy it is to be part of this worshiping community. While uh, while we had the uh, we appreciated the opportunity to go and visit a, a number of different churches o- over recent months, uh, I'd say through that experience we did grow in our appreciation for the worship here at Redeemer and the people of Redeemer. And and so yes, it is it is very good uh, to be back with you. And uh, and as I uh, thought and prayed about what to speak. Uh, speak on uh, upon my return, I was again convinced of the importance of speaking about God's grace to God's people. And so for a few weeks, I want to take a fresh look at the gospel, hoping that it will lift our heads and lift our hearts. That, that's what I, that I pray, that we might experience over the next few weeks as we build on this theme that will hopefully be established more powerfully in the grace of God, His mercy, His love, and his delight in us. And I'm going to start this morning by reading just one verse to you, and that's found in Romans chapter 5 and, and verse 17, just, just one verse. It's, it's a bit difficult to interrupt the, the Apostle Paul. I mean, once he gets started, uh, he kind of just builds an, an argument, and so we could read the whole of, of chapter 5, but I'm just going to read one verse, uh, which kind of sums up all that he's saying in that chapter. Romans chapter 5 and, and verse 17, for if, and he's comparing and contrasting here the, the devastation caused by Adam's sin, how he, how he wrecked the human race, kind of polluted us all, messed us all up, and then how Jesus came and started another race, another people, and the contrast between what Adam did and what Jesus did. And so verse 17 says this, For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, Adam, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your presence with us. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your delight in your church that you sing over us. Lord, it's amazing to us that you care for us like this. And now we pray, Father, for your word to come with real revelation this morning, opening our minds and our hearts, giving us grace to see and to step into what you've done for us by your grace. And we ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness shall reign in life. Reign in life. What a great phrase that is, reigning in life. It, it, it's kind of like being on top rather than under. It's kind of, yeah, we've, we're, we're up for it. We're, we're victorious. We're reigning in life. What a tremendous phrase that is. And it's not an isolated phrase in the Bible. There are similar phrases. The fact that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Not just conquerors. We're more than conquerors. And elsewhere, the truth that he always leads us in victory. Always leads us in the victory, in the triumph in Christ Jesus. 
Now, these are very vivid phrases, and they kind of sound wonderful, you know, reigning in life, more than conquerors, always in triumph. And yet, sometimes you think of yourself and you think, hmm, if only. It ain't quite where I'm at. That's where I'd like to be, but I don't feel like I'm there. And sometimes we feel this longing that we might actually experience more of what the Bible, uh, what it says in the Bible. I, I, I want to be like that, but it's not really the way I am. And sometimes we come to a moment, a kind of crisis moment. Maybe we're in a, 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 a worship context somewhere and we hear a word, we're challenged, we're convicted maybe. We say, Lord, I really want to be for you everything that you want me to be. And that kind of aspiration gets stirred in, up in us again. And it's a good thing. It's a great thing. Or maybe we come to the end of, of the year. You know, you, you, you come to the end of the year, maybe you get a new day plan or you haven't messed up any of the pages yet. And there's the whole year. You, you think, I'm sorry about that year, Lord. You know, that, that wasn't what I wanted and I'm really sorry but I'm going to start again. And when you serve a risen Christ, one who rose from the dead, that concept of starting again is very real. Now, it's wonderful when you feel that, whether, whether it's in a worship context or uh, the beginning of a new year or, or whenever it might be. It's a great thing to feel. Yeah, I want to go for it. But the tragedy is often that that we kind of go through the wrong door. It's like there are two doors waiting and we say, yeah, I'm going I'm, I'm, uh, I'm to do it, I'm going to do it. And at that moment, we fail to read the small print. We say, right, I'm going to do it. Now, how am I going to do it? Well, for one thing, I am going to set my alarm clock earlier. Every morning, I'm going to get up and I'm going to pray more. And I'm I'm going to read the whole Bible. I'm going to read the whole Bible. You know, how many pages is that? You know, uh, I'm, I'm, it looks like I'm going to read seven, eight pages a day. I'm going to read the whole Bible this year. I'm going to do it. And this is the trap that we get ourselves into. I reign in life only if I do some more. Only if I keep some rule. I'll set myself some rules to live by, and if I can live by the rules... I'll reign in life. And that is such a trap. And it's not what, this, what the verse says, but we often think that way. We often think that way. It's interesting, Paul says this in Galatians 5, verse 4. You who would be justified by the law have fallen away from grace. You see, when we talk about falling from grace, we often think, well, you know, you've backslidden or something. But Paul doesn't say that. This phrase, fallen from grace, which gets used in, in different kinds of contexts. In the Bible, it's not backsliding. It's getting into rules and regulations. That's what he's saying. You, you who would be justified by the law have fallen from grace. That's the way he uses it. Now, just to remind you, why did Paul write to the Galatians? Why did he say to them, you who would be justified by the law have fallen from grace? Well, when he wrote to the Galatians, it was because Paul had been to Galatia. He preached the gospel there, 
and many had become Christians. And it's a great church Paul's brought into birth, and the Holy Spirit is there. There's tremendous stuff going on. We're the people of God. Wonderful. And then being an apostle, the apostle Paul then leaves them. God bless you. Be with you. I've got to set off to another town and do it again. And when he left, the so-called Judaizers moved in behind him. Now, who were the Judaizers? Well, they were professing Christians, but professing Christians with a very strong Jewish root. And they were confusing the old covenant and the new covenant. And so they come in there and they said to these Galatian Christians, hey, it's great that you've received the Messiah. I mean, God says in the Bible uh, that the Gentiles would come. Hey, it's great. Welcome. We're so glad you found our Messiah. It's wonderful. Um, but we've known him for centuries. I mean, we know what he really, really does want. And, and, and really, if you're, gonna, if you're really going to keep him happy, um, you shouldn't eat that food. That, that's not acceptable food. And you must keep, you must keep the Sabbath. That's, that's something we've always done. We've always done that. And, and you must remember to keep certain feast days. You must keep, keep the feast days. And actually, you need to be circumcised just to make sure all is well. And it's like, look, I know you've received the Messiah, but if you really want to make sure that everything's okay, you need to add these other things. That's what happened. And Paul wrote to wrote Galatians, which is his sternest letter. He says, you fools, who's bewitched you? Who's bewitched you? What are you playing at? You think you can add to Christ? You think you can improve on Christ? What are you doing? Now listen, not many people are saying that to you today. Not many uh, people are, are saying to you, now listen, you need to do this and this and this in that sort of upfront way. But what can happen and often does, and it's often done by well-meaning people, and, and we maybe have unintentionally done this to others or had it done to us, you know, something like, Oh, you've become a Christian. Yeah, become a Christian. That's wonderful. Can I, can I help you along? Oh, yes, please do. Now listen. Yeah, yeah, I'm ready. I'm listening. You must read your Bible every day. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. I must remember to read my Bible every day. And you must pray. Oh, yeah, okay. I've got it. Oh, I've got to pray. Got to remember to pray. And... Um, you shouldn't really wear that sort of clothing. All right. And, and, and you really have to do your hair like that? Well, I suppose not. Okay, have you got it? Yeah, okay, I've got it. Got it. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. I feel so released by the gospel. It so set me free. And you think, hey, what happened to me? I kind of got all of this stuff that I have to do now to be acceptable to God. And a lot of Christians are there, friends. A lot of well-meaning Christians. I've been there. I, I've known the experience of every time I got up from praying, Satan says, is that it then? You finished? When I read the Bible, you going to read some more? That kind of cloud of, are you really worthy? 
Are you really doing enough? You see, that's where Christians get tied up and think, I'll reign in life by making sure I'll get up earlier, I'll pray more, and we get caught in this trap. That's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. Paul says in Romans 10, verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And it says in Romans 6, You are not under law, but under grace. Wait a minute. Jesus said the law will never pass away. How come Paul says you're not under the law? Jesus said the law will never pass away. So what's going on here? Who's right? Are they arguing with one another? What do we do? If I asked, if, 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 if we had a show of hands, so we're, I'm not going to do it, but if we had a show of hands, how many Christians think that a Christian is under the law? How many think uh, Christians are not under the law? If we had a show of hands, I suspect... Some would be looking, what are, what are the elders doing? You know, we're not quite sure where we stand. So let's just quickly look at Romans chapter 7. And I'm just going to read a half a dozen verses. We only read one verse before from Romans 5. Uh, Romans 7, we'll read a half dozen verses. Do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law, that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Therefore, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. Verse 6, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. Okay, so Paul here is giving us an illustration, and he uses the illustration of marriage. And he says, the law is like our husband. We're married to the law. That's the illustration he uses. He, he, he says, you're married to the law. You've, you've got this arrangement. You're married to the law. That's what he's saying here. And the law is a very correct and stern husband. You can't argue with him because he's always right. You know, he's holy and pure and good. But the problem is, because he's so pure and holy, it makes me kind of in a difficulty. Now, we've got to remember, and we'll come back to this later. The Bible says this. Satan is the accuser of the brothers and sisters who accuses us day and night. And I, I wonder if you, you've thought about it. That is Satan's chief weapon against Christians. He accuses the word Satan means accuser. That's his chief weapon against you. I mean, it's not that he lives, you know, he lives downtown and he's trying to draw you in and get you. No, no, he accuses you. He says, you're not good enough. Who do you think you are? You're a terrible Christian. That's his main weapon uh, to get your head down. He's accusing us. 
So he gets behind this whole thing. Okay, so we're, we're, we're married to this, this beautiful husband, except that he's holy and pure, and I can't argue with him because he's always right. But tragically, he never lifts a finger to help. He's always right, and he's telling me what's good for me. He's telling me good stuff, but he never helps. And I hope I can't see too many wives are going, I think he's talking about you, dear. No, so he's always right, and he's good, but he never helps me. You think, well, how can I get through this? And the way that Paul starts this chapter, it sounds like the husband needs to die. Because he says you, you, you can't be joined to another one while he's alive. So you think, well, well, you better kill off the law then. But Jesus said the law will never die. So we're stuck. We're permanently married to a fault-finding, correct, overbearing, unhelpful husband who's never going to die. Hallelujah. I mean, is it, ain't, ain't religion wonderful? We're stuck. Except we're not stuck because Paul amazingly says this, verse 4, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. You were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, Paul's favorite phrase for a Christian is someone who is in Christ. I mean, the word Christian, I think, only appears three times in the New Testament. In Christ, dozens, scores and scores of times. In Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So we're in him. We're in Christ. And he's saying this, you were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. In other words, through your being in Christ. So what what does that mean? Well, it means this. Christ, if we could put it this way, had two relationships with the law. One was perfect obedience, absolute righteousness. The Bible calls him innocent. That's the word that's used to describe Jesus. He was innocent. He was flawless. He said at the end of his ministry, which one of you finds fault with with me? He challenged them. So Jesus is pure perfect. Jesus is innocent. But when he comes up to the cross, God made him who knew no sin. That's another testimony. He knew no sin that he made him to be sin for us. And Jesus at the cross is the personification of sin, guilt, and shame. He was made to be sin. He took our, 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 our place. He took our guilt took all of the punishment, he became sin for us, and God judged him. And the law was utterly upheld and vindicated. God didn't say, oh, let's just forgive them. God God is righteous and holy and, and true. He can't just say, oh, let's just forget about it. That must be paid for, that guilt, that shame, that terrible stuff. When John Newton, for instance, we love to sing his hymn, don't we? Uh, Amazing Grace. Well, John Newton was a slave trader. He used to take hundreds, if not thousands, of, of, of slaves across the Atlantic. And when they died, they threw them overboard. And they say of the slave traders that they raped the women. This is a, a vile, disgusting man. Somebody needs to pay. And Jesus said, I'll pay. I'll pay. God can't say, oh, let's just forgive him. 
And Jesus took the guilt. He took the shame. And John Newton's born again and says, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. He paid for me. He paid for me. But Paul says he not only died in our place, but we died in him. That when Christ died, we died. That's what it says here. You were made to die to the law. It's not that the law has died. The law keeps speaking. The law still speaks. Paul says elsewhere, the law is good, providing you use it lawfully. The law keeps speaking. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. The law wakes us up to our sinfulness. But we've been released from its captivity. It says in verse 6, now we have been released from the law. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, perhaps the greatest preacher of the last century, he, he used this illustration. He used, that of a, he used the illustration of a soldier who, who, who's in the army and he's being told, do this, do that, turn left, turn right, you, you know, whatever the sergeant says you do. But then comes the moment when you're discharged. <sighs> I'm out. I've finished. I've, I've done it. And he says, imagine a soldier when he's been discharged. He's strolling across the parade ground. He's, he's got no tie on. He's got his jacket over his shoulder and he's whistling along. And the sergeant turns to the corner and says, soldier, Sarge. Hey, wait a minute. I'm out of there. Bye, Sarge. And it doesn't matter how much he shouts, he can't touch you. You're out. You're discharged. He has no longer authority over you. It says here, you have been discharged from the law. We've been set free from it. And then let's just see what it says in verse 4. You also have died to the law. We've died to it. Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. He, he's accomplished it. He's, he's fulfilled the law. It's done. Therefore, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. Who's that? Well, to him who has been raised from the dead. Well, we know who that is, the Lord Jesus. In other words, we've died to that overbearing husband who kept telling us, you're falling short, do better, do better. You must not. I've died to him in order that I might be joined to him who has been raised from the dead. Now I've got a new husband. We've died to the old husband. We've got a new husband. And not only do we have a new husband, it says this, we've been joined to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. That is so important. Every phrase of the Bible is important. You've died to that old, overbearing husband. It's finished. It's over. Jesus paid the debt in order that we might be joined to this new husband, that we might bear fruit. Now, in talking about the law, listen, there is no reference to bearing fruit. The law doesn't make me bear fruit. It, 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 it told me what it wanted, and it, but it didn't, it didn't make me bear fruit. In fact, it says in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 21, a, a very important statement where Paul is making his argument. He says in Galatians 3, 21, if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. 
right? If, if the law could impart life, yeah, then it, it would produce righteousness. But the law can't impart any life. You see, if it was the law that can do it, well then, hey, let's, let's, let's get into all the schools, shall we? I mean, let's get the Ten Commandments back in school and tell all of the teenagers, just tell them, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not, just go and tell them. If the law imparts life, tell them the law. The law doesn't impart any life. It doesn't change anybody. It's a husband who's impotent. He wants me to bear fruit, but he can't impart new life to me. The law can tell me I'm a sinner, but can't impart life. He's a very frustrating husband. But now we've been joined to one who's been raised from the dead that we might bear fruit for God. Because he's a life imparting husband. He, he, he puts a, a new spirit within me. He changes me from the inside and so we bear fruit for god the law can't do that you meet a christian sometimes you say hey how's it going a bit up and down how are you doing as a christian a bit up and down i want to suggest to you that it's not so much up and down as husband to husband we tend to do that. We, we tend to say, oh, I'm not doing so well lately. I'll, I'll try harder. And we go back to the old husband in order to please the new, new husband. It doesn't work, you know. I mean, imagine you, you, you've got yourself a new husband. You know, we're not doing very well lately. I'm sorry. Let me go and develop my relationship with the old husband. Will that help? No, not really. Not really. See, Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, where, where he's being shut out, if you like, he, he says, I'm at the door knocking. You've grown lukewarm, and I'm at the no door knocking. And if you will go and do this and this and this. No, he doesn't say that, does he? He says, if you will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and I'll sup with you. Man, what a husband. He's the life-imparting husband. Why would I want to go back to the old stern fault-finding husband. See, that's why the gospel is so freeing. I never go there again. I never go back to justifying myself. We reign in life not because we try to accumulate something for ourselves, but because we receive this abundance of grace. And then it says this last thing, and the free gift of righteousness. I'm going to reign in life through grace because of what Jesus has done. A free gift, a free gift of righteousness. In other words, I'm not trying to establish my own righteousness. Paul says in Philippians, he says about the Jews, he said that they're going around trying to establish a righteousness of their own that is based on the law instead of receiving a righteousness which is a gift from God. See, otherwise our lives become like this. Let me... Let me just kind of, I'm going to pretend I'm, I'm a wife here, okay? So, you know, we, we go home, we, we get up tomorrow morning and, 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 and pray. Oh, Lord God, 
just bless my husband at work today. Make him a blessing. You know, Lord, he's, he, he's a godly man, and, and let his light shine, and, and I'd, love to, I'd love to encourage him. How can I encourage him? I, I, oh, I, I know. I, I know what to do. I'm, I'm going to go and make a special meal. That, that'd be nice. I, like, I know, what he, I know what he likes. I'll get him a really nice steak. I'll really surprise him. He's been through such a, a tough patch. Oh, I'm supposed to be praying. Oh, yeah. Oh, I was praying, wasn't I? Well, what, what was I praying about? Oh, I, oh yeah, the missionary, uh, the missionary this weekend. Uh, oh, yeah, Lord, bless, bless, bless the missionary lunch this weekend. And bless the missionaries who are coming to talk about what they're doing on the mission field at our lunch. Oh, yeah, the lunch. I, I, I said I'd make a quiche, and I haven't done it. Oh, gosh, I better, I better get down to the store. And, and what was it I needed from the store? Oh, yeah, I could, I could get that at the same time that I get the steak. Oh, I could do that. That'll be a blessing. And I'll, oh, I'm supposed to be praying. Oh, I'm such a terrible prayer. I try and pray. My brain goes out the window. Just a useless prayer. So I better get down to my Bible reading because my praying is, is absolutely useless. What, where was I in my reading? Oh, yeah, I was, I was going through... I was going through, I got to Leviticus, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, I remember. And, 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 the, and the priest shall remove from the offering all the fat of the bull of the sin offering and the fat which covers the entrails and the fat which is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that's on them, which is on the loins and the lobe of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys. And Satan comes along and says, getting a lot out of it, are we? And you say, I, I, I haven't got a clue what it's all about. I'm a terrible Christian. I can't pray. The Bible doesn't make any sense to me. I'm useless. See, that, that, that is because we're trying to reign in life, to use our Bible phrase, by accumulating stuff that we do. Like I read my Bible well, I pray well. You say, Daryl, don't you pray anymore? Well, yeah, I quite enjoy uh, praying as it happens, but it's not like I pray and, and then, then I'm thinking, hey, t 20 minutes, impressive, eh? Points for that. I don't. I, I really don't. I pray because I want some answers. I pray because I actually enjoy being in the presence of God. I'm not praying to try and earn points. Yeah, I read the Bible. I love reading the Bible, but I do it for a different reason. I'm, I'm trying to learn some more. I want to understand some more. I'm not trying to be a good Christian. I'm not trying to earn points. I'm trying to get to know my husband better. I want him to impart his life to me more. So I'm not doing these things to try to impress God. Jesus has impressed God for me. I'm hidden in the one who's already impressed God. God loves him. God celebrates him. And I'm hidden in him. This is grace, friends. This is the grace of God that sets us free. We're saved people. We're not people trying hard to shake off condemnation. There is now no condemnation for those who are on Christ Jesus. He's done it. It's finished. And so we're in this new relationship and we never go back. But some of us, we live our lives and we feel like we're, we feel condemned. Oh, I'm trying hard. I'm trying hard. I try and pray more. I try to read my Bible more. You know, I'm trying to, to get rid of the condemnation. And Satan comes and says, well, have you heard about Jane? No, what about Jane? Well, she fasts twice a week. 
oh, now I've got to do that as well now. See, that's what we're like. We hear something and go, I've got to do that as well because I've got to do this stuff. How else am I going to be acceptable? But no, it's done. It's finished. He's done it. He set me free. You see, the answer to condemnation is not sanctification. It isn't. The answer to condemnation is justification. He justified me freely as a gift and declared me righteous. I don't have to do it. He did it. That's the whole point of the gospel of Christ. Even in the Old Testament, when they, when they brought their lambs, it was preparing us for this. I mean, Jesus is our lamb, but in the Old Testament, you had to bring a lamb to the priest. And they gave the lamb to the priest. And the priest would take the lamb and look at the lamb. And, and, and any broken limbs? Is it, is it blind? Is it, is it diseased? And he's not looking at me uh, to see, hey, you've got some, some mud on you there. Oh, hey, this is, all, this is all torn. That's irrelevant. All eyes are on the lamb. And then the priest would say, I find no fault in it. Nothing wrong with my lamb. I'm accepted because there's nothing wrong with my lamb. Even Pilate said of Jesus, I find no fault in him. My lamb's perfect. I'm accepted. Remember the story of when Jacob came to, to, to his blind old father Isaac? And remember that story? Jacob, I mean, Jacob was a crook and he wants to get a blessing from his father. And his father has a son that he loves, Esau. And so while Esau's away, Jacob goes, you know, puts on Esau's clothes, puts hairy skin on his arms and, 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 and hands and comes to his father hoping against hope that his father won't realize and say, hey, what are you, what, what are you doing? No, no, he comes hidden in the son he loved. And I know uh, we have to be careful with that picture, but know that God has put you in the son that he loves. And when we come to him, we need to remember that story and say, Lord, here I come hidden in the sun you love. Just, just feel his clothing. Want, catch the fragrance of, of his obedience, the way he did everything that you wanted him to do, the way that he went to the cross. I'm hidden in that. It says in Ephesians 1 that we're accepted in the sun that he loves. And I'll close with this. Uh, John Bunyan, the old Puritan who, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, he said oh, one day that he was walking and he felt dejected. He felt low. And he said he saw a vision of Christ as his righteousness. He saw a vision of Christ as his righteousness. He said, I suddenly realized that there is nothing I can do to add to that righteousness. And there's nothing that I could do to take away from that righteousness. He is my righteousness. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We reign in life because God's given us a righteousness free. It's all free. He's given it to us, friends. We, we don't have to try to keep trying to please the old husband. We've died to him. And we've been raised to be joined to a new husband that we might be changed from the inside. So it's no longer I'm just trying to, to keep the rules. I, I've got a husband now who can change me. 
Listen, it's a much better deal. No wonder the, the word better covenant appears many times in the book of Hebrews. It's, this is better. It's a new and better covenant. We're no longer in Adam. We're in Christ. We're no longer under law. We're under grace. And we're going to look at this uh, for a few more Sundays. We're going to continue to open this up little by little. And I'm hoping, I'm praying that we will reign in life because of this breathtaking grace. That we'll enjoy it more. That we'll, we'll get to know the wonders of our salvation more. That it really will get into us in a way that really thrills us and grips us and changes us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace that sets us free. And Father, I pray for everyone here and everyone listening in that we might celebrate the wonder of what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.